Well, hello there. In today's episode, I'm going to answer the question, what type of account do I need to invest? I'm going to give you a few options and a few steps to follow and a few different types of accounts to consider as you start investing. And then I'm going to offer a free resource that will certainly help you along the way. Stick around because we're going to cover the ways to help you ignite financial freedom. Welcome to the Igniting Financial Freedom Podcast, where I give you perspective as if I'm in your shoes so that you can remove the worry of money and create the life you want for you and your family. I'm your host, Clark Bradley. I've helped countless others reach their goals. Are you ready to join me as you pursue financial freedom? Welcome to episode 22 of the Igniting Financial Freedom Podcast. Today, I am addressing the question, what type of account do I need to invest? So again, with with all of my investing-related podcasts, before I get too deep, I will just read this disclaimer. I'm not an accountant and I'm no longer acting as a financial advisor, although I am giving perspective and guidance as if what I would do in your shoes, but I am not and I'm choosing to not make specific investment recommendations. It's near impossible for me to make a recommendation to someone through a podcast knowing very little to nothing about their circumstance and how much debt they have and how much they have in savings and their income and their expenses and their housing situation and so on and so on. So it's hard, for example, for a physician to make a prognosis and a diagnosis from someone that they've never met or never had a chance to analyze or have a conversation with in their medical office, right? Got to take those vitals and check a person out before you can make a true recommendation as to what they should do. Same thing here. I might give you a guideline or a piece of perspective or some, some insight as to what I would do, but it's very challenging for me to say, do A, B, and C when I don't know some of your vitals financially, right? Okay, so for the few steps and the few options that I'm going to cover before I get to that, there are some assumptions that I've talked about in the last couple episodes that I would like to see you have or work toward or have in place before you begin investing. You can't put the roof on without the foundation and without the walls. The foundation comes first, and you dig the basement deep enough to support the height of the building. Skyscrapers have very deep and wide foundations that they are built on. So, with that principle, the assumptions that I would like to see is you are already completed or you have already funded your 2% emergency fund. Again, as the example, let's say you have a family income of 80000 That would mean you have about $1,600 or more sitting in cash somewhere separated from the rest of your accounts. You have paid off all of your bad debt. What I quantify or what I categorize as bad debt would be something with an 8% interest rate or higher and something that's not attached to an asset. So that means your credit cards, your student loans, 
I guess there's some gray area there because the degree, okay, depending on the degree, student loans are a little fuzzy, but I would consider that still debt that you should prioritize paying off before you begin investing. I would consider payday loans, any other type of personal loans, even car loans in that. But a car loan I'm not as stressed about because it's a four, you know, three, four, five percent interest rate. Now it's attached to an asset technically, but the asset is going down in value as time goes on. So it's not my favorite debt. It's probably the the least offender of all of the what I would call bad debt. And the third assumption I would like to see is that you have a definitive plan and you have automations set up every month or every paycheck to fund your full three-month emergency fund and all of your sinking funds. If you're unfamiliar with what that means, go back to one of my previous episodes, I don't remember which one, where I discussed sinking funds. It was in the mid to late teens, not too long ago. And I have a sinking fund worksheet that you can download to figure out what you're going to need to fund your intermittent but still expected expenses, i.e. sinking fund. Okay, so here we go. The type of account and the order of the accounts and the funding of the accounts are what I would do in your shoes. Now, there's a couple things that I want to add here. So this is under the premise that you are employed by a company that offers a retirement plan. So if that is not the case, you can skip around a little bit or skip to the second one. But this first one is funding a 401k or a 403b if, capital I, capital F, if there is a match provided by that company. So my previous employer offered a 5%, they do 5%, 3%, I think it was 3%, a 3% match dollar for dollar, which meant if you make $50,000 a year and they're willing to match 3%, 100% of your first 3%, which means you put in $1,500 over the course of the year. At the end of the year, usually in like January, February of the following calendar year, so let's say you, you put in 3% all the way through 2021. Somewhere in the first quarter of 2022, they would make a deposit into your 401k for that same $1,500. That's a 3% match example. Some companies do 50 cents on the dollar for the first 3% or first 5% or they shade it down or whatever it might be. Whatever that that amount is, in order for you to participate in the full match, do that. Whether it's 2% or 3% or 5%, I don't care. Whatever it is, get the match. From there... You're also going to consider if it's an option within your 401k, if you can, and they offer a Roth 401k, make that your election or designation for the money that you're putting in. Their matching percentage will typically be the traditional side or the regular side of the 401k. Your contribution and the money you're putting in would go into the Roth 401k, which simply means that it's money that's after tax. And then when you're ready to pull this out, the Roth 401k bucket of money that will hopefully grow over time, and when you're ready to retire, 
as long as you're older than 59 and a half, you're not paying tax and you're not paying a penalty on any of that Roth 401k money, which is a huge advantage. If there is no Roth option within the 401k, that's okay. Just put it in the regular side and get that full match. So that would be bucket one. 401k or 403b or some kind of retirement plan provided by your employer. Assuming there's a match that goes with it. Now, if you're self-employed or unemployed, then you can probably just skip right to option two. If you're self-employed, you might even consider, as a side note here, self-employed, you might consider a SEP IRA or a what's called a solo 401k. I would do a little bit more research on that. I didn't really focus on that much for this episode, but SEP IRA and solo 401k both have pretty higher, pretty high contribution limits as opposed to number two on my list, which is the Roth IRA. So for self-employed, it's a little bit different. So the Roth IRA allows you to contribute up to $6,000 a year as of 21 here. So you can contribute up to $500 a month into the Roth IRA. The contributions go in with what you would call after-tax dollars, which simply means it's money that is already taxed, okay? It's money that hits your bank account, essentially, and then you redirect it, you know, let's say $500 a month, up to $500 a month. But the money itself needs to be what's called earned income. So it can't be money that you're collecting from unemployment or money that you're collecting through Social Security, let's say. The advantage to that Roth IRA, of course, is that your the money inside there, let's just say 6000 a year over and over and over from, uh, let's say, age 25 to age 65, all of that grows tax-deferred and tax-free. So what that means is instead of paying taxes on the dividends that are paid out or any gains that are experienced inside the account, you're not paying tax on that money each year. And furthermore, you're not paying tax on the money that you withdraw out of the account But the one drawback is that in order to get those withdrawals tax-free, you have to wait until your age 59 and a half. You also have to wait at least five years to let it grow. But assuming you start it now, and let's say, again, you're 25, you don't really have to worry about that five-year rule. The other thing is there's an income limit to the Roth IRA. So if you're filing a single tax return as of 2021, the income limit is $140,000 or less, and the joint tax return income limit is 208000 or less. Meaning, if you make more than that, you are ineligible for a Roth IRA. And in that case, you'd want to look at maybe a traditional IRA. There's more layers to that, but for a majority of you listening, you will qualify for a Roth IRA. The third option or the third step would be to go back to the 401k and max that out up to the 2021 limit, which is 19500 So just there, for the first three steps, you've gone through, participated in your work, retirement plan, 401k, 403b, what have you, up to the match. And then you've redirected any additional savings over to a Roth IRA. 
up to 500 bucks a month or $6,000 a year for you and a spouse. So if you're the sole income earner for your family, but you're married, you can do a Roth IRA for you and your spouse. So that's 12000 right there. It's $1,000 a month into Roth IRA. It's 500 for each of you. Now, if you still have some wiggle room, you still have some margin left over, you can go back to the 401k and contribute an additional or however much more you you need basically to get up to that max out number of 19500 There's catch-up contributions for both of these Roth IRAs and, and 401ks. If you're over the age of 50, most of my listeners are not. But if you are, know that you have a little bit extra that you can contribute to both of them. The Roth IRA is an extra $1,000 a year, and the 401k is an extra 6000 I think, or 4000 something like that. I think it's six. So that basically gives you $25,500, and, and I'm giving you kind of the, the order of operations, if you will, in the ways that you would fund it. Now, if you still have additional money to throw at your retirement or your long-term savings buckets, then at that point, option four would be setting up a brokerage account, which is just a regular investment account, which is after-tax money. You are going to pay taxes on any dividends, any capital gains, basically any type of profit, if you will, or interest on any bonds that you might own. So it's any profit that you've earned. It's a a good problem to have. There's gains that occur in a stock account, in a brokerage account, and that's okay. Okay, so from there, you're probably wondering, great, I'm opening this 401k, I'm opening this Roth IRA, I'm contributing this amount, I'm contributing that amount to get my, my savings rate up The other side note you'd want to consider, too, is tracking how much you're saving compared to your income. So, for example, let's say you make $60,000 a year, and your employer offers you a 3% match. So they're going to offer you an $1,800 bonus, if you will, into your 401k if you're able and willing to contribute your 3%. So you put in 1800 they put in 1800 Then you go ahead and open up your own Roth IRA and you put in your 6000 which is, of course, out of 60 grand. That's 10% right there. So 6000 plus your 1800 into your 401k. The match you could technically count, but it's not your money it's it's your money but it's the employer's money okay so i'm going to count it as $7800 between 6000 into the Roth IRA and another 1800 into the 401k so the 7800 divided by $60000 is a 13% savings rate it's a great place to start so if you just did that it's a great place to start, 13%. Then from there, you could go back to the 401k and begin to increase your 3% to 4 and then 5 and then 8 and then 10 until eventually you're saving north of 20% or even 
So you wouldn't even have to bother with going to a brokerage account because the limit of 19500 within your 401k would be enough for you to do, you know, to do enough damage, so to speak. 25000 saved. 25500 Again, the, the limits between the 401k and the Roth IRA. 25500 is enough for you to save almost 50% of your income. And you'd be doing a phenomenal job if you were saving up to that point. Okay, so I'm sure you're, again, you're asking, what am I going to do inside these buckets? What am I going to do in this 401k or in this Roth IRA once I've actually opened them? And you might remember in episode 21, I talked about that a little bit, right? What are we going to put inside the bucket? Because today we're talking about the actual buckets. So again, bucket one is 401k, 403b, up to the match. Bucket two is Roth IRA, assuming that you qualify. Do your own research on that in terms of income limits and all of those things. And then the third would be going third step would be going back to bucket one and maxing out the 401k up to that 19,500. So from there back in episode 21 I talked about looking at an index mutual fund as the first option or possibly even what's called a target date fund. So the target date fund is probably the simplest option for you to just pick the year of what's closest to your year of retirement. And basically just forget about it and then just preoccupy yourself with how much money can I jam into it year over year. If you wanted to do an index fund, you could certainly do that as long as it's something that is a majority in stock, at least 80% or higher. Unless you're already retired or very close to retirement, at some point you could then consider maybe doing something that's a little more balanced less in stock overall, or maybe just look at something that's, again, a target day fund would be ideal because that really just simplifies and kind of puts everything on autopilot for you. The account itself, the fund itself will shift downward from more growth to then more balanced to then more conservative as time goes on. So I used the example last episode that let's say you're 25 and you're going to pick a 2060 fund because you're about, you know, 40 years from now, you're going to be 65. That's about when you'll retire. So it's going to start off as probably a 90% stock fund and slowly shade down to a 50-50 fund and then even slightly lower than that so that it's more balanced and then it's more conservative. So from there... What you'll also want to be mindful of within your 401k, particularly, but also within the Roth IRA, is the expense ratios of those funds that you pick. I talked about that as well. Ideally, you're going to see and find mutual funds that have an expense ratio of less than 0.2% each year. That way, you're minimizing the fees that are coming off the top, and you're still allowing the account to grow and to compound in your favor long term. So each 401k company will have a list of all the funds available. You might have to get on the phone with them and say, do you have a list of the funds? I need to look at the list of funds. Some of those target day funds have have sneakily high uh, expense ratios. So you want to look at that. And if they do, then I would just find a growth stock fund. Maybe it's just an index fund. It's that total 
stock market index or an all-world index that I have previously mentioned. And you just buy that. Keep it simple and keep it inexpensive. The more the more applicable or the more kind of pertinent indicator of your long-term success is how much are you saving into this bucket. Whether you pick the total stock market index or the all-world index is less of an indicator of your success than how much you're saving. If you're saving 5% versus 10%, that's a much bigger indicator of your retirement plan succeeding than your long-term wealth plan succeeding than splitting hairs over a type of account or a type of fund. It's still important, but your savings rate is the bigger driver of success. All right, so to recap, number one, 401k, 403b, up to the match. Number two, Roth IRA maxed out if possible, and then back to the Roth IRA, back to the 401k for the difference for as much as you need to get up to a ideally 10% and then 15% savings rate and then 20, 25% savings rate. And at some point within there, I'm going to talk about this in the, another episode, where else could you could you be saving? Should you be saving 25% or 30% of your income all in 401ks and Roth IRAs? Or should you consider a percentage of that in cryptocurrency or precious metals like gold and silver, palladium, platinum? Should you consider investment real estate? Should you consider some type of crowdfunding alternative investment? So I'll talk about that in in the next episode. And maybe there's some alternatives that we can consider to further diversify your investments. So I also will include this risk tolerance questionnaire that I've been mentioning the last couple episodes that is provided by Vanguard. Again, I'm not endorsed or encouraged to promote them by any means, but I just like them as a company. And this risk tolerance questionnaire is easy enough and thorough enough to give you an idea of your temperament for risk. So all of this put together can be a little bit overwhelming and confusing. If you would like a 30-minute strategy session with me that is complimentary for you as a listener, go to ignitingfinancialfreedom.com slash coaching. Again, ignitingfinancialfreedom.com slash coaching. Fill out the form for the strategy session. Book a time on the calendar and we will talk together via Zoom. And that way we can get a little bit more detailed and a little bit more customized with the savings options you have available, the retirement plan options you have available, and so on, and to come up with a strategy long-term for your savings plan. And a quick win for today, I do have a financial coach and financial advisor comparison chart that I created so that you can weigh the advantages and disadvantages to both ignitingfinancialfreedom.com slash comparison. And maybe you realize that you're savvy enough to do this on your own and you don't need some schmuck like me trying to advise you and tell you what to do. And maybe that's the outcome that you find by going through that worksheet. That's great. More power to you. Hey, bad. Again, ignitingfinancialfreedom.com slash comparison. And that is all for me today. Stay tuned. I do have additional episodes coming out. I will take on your biggest questions related to money. And 
That is all from me today, people. I will catch you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Igniting Financial Freedom Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to see future episodes. Go ahead and give it a rating and review so I can help more people ignite their financial freedom. And I wish you good fortune. I'll see you next time.